Thank you, Steve-O. Brilliant. All right. How are we doing? Okay. How are we doing after the uh, latest announcements from Nicola? Um, yeah. What are we, tier three? Could be tier four pretty soon, if you believe some people. Um, I hope it's not getting you down too much. And uh, you're not like Kermit the Frog here. Kermit's been struggling with this extra hour today. You've probably seen loads of these going around social media in the last 24 hours, 40 hours. Uh, who could do with an extra hour in 2020? Not me. But let me just try today to comfort us from God's Word. Because, you know, we are different. We are different as God's people. We are not called to just conform and just do the same as everybody else is doing. But it does take wisdom, I think, to work out what that looks like. And uh, Daniel is going to help us out um, as we look at his life and some examples from there. Surely we can't just sit in our hands for months on end, right? Amen. We can't. So this afternoon we're going to take some time to see how God calls his people to press on, especially when life is like this, especially when the constraints are there, especially when we feel shackled. There is a place for opposing government decisions. There's a place for challenging science. There's a place for decision-making policies to be challenged. But I would stress to you, our focus must be, what is God doing in all of this? And how do we get on board with what he's doing? So we're calling today's preach, Press On in Babylon. And we're looking at the life of Daniel. A man who spent most of his days in a strange and foreign land under severe restrictions. That was his reality. Daniel, though, was used in those circumstances with great power. And my expectation is that people of God should used with great power when they're feeling restrained, when they're feeling held back. It says in uh, chapter 11, verse 32, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Some uh, translations say resist. Some translations say do exploits. So like Daniel and his friends, God wants us to see that we can be used powerfully today. And that's you. So before I go any further, that's not just the institution of the church. That's not just someone else, someone who has the confidence to stand up and say something or who has some miraculous powers going on in their lives. That is you. You. Without exception. To help us to do that, I'm going to pull out three things from the book of Daniel and the exiled Israelites' experience. And I want us to see that God is calling us to do these three things. Live as citizens of God's kingdom first. Live for the good of Babylon and live for the kingdom to come. So Abby is going to come and read to us from Daniel 1 and she's just going to read the first 21 verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 
king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the king eunuch, to bring, eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom. Endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that they drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then, Dan then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with the servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had com commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none were, was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the very first year of King Cyrus. Thank you, Abby. Some tasty names in there for you to pronounce. Why do you think I got you to do that? All right, let me tell you a bit about Daniel and what happened to him and some of the other Israelites. In 587 BC, Jerusalem was attacked and defeated by Babylon. Within the year, they came back to plunder Jerusalem, destroy the city, including the temple. It was a dreadful time in the history of Israel. And they decided what they would do was systematically remove the brightest, the best, the most talented of the Israelites and take them away as slaves to Babylon to serve their kingdom. Daniel was among them. Back in Israel, Daniel was the man. 
impressive friends, been with the best of the best in a highly educated society. Daniel had the world at his feet. He had wealth, he had intelligence, he had good looks, privilege even as a Hebrew noble. But instead of realizing that promise, it was snatched away from him in an instant, shattered, taken, separated from his family, from his friends, from his community, taken into slavery, most likely made into a eunuch, castrated, along with the other top Israelite servants. His name was taken from him and replaced by a Babylonian one. He was expected to speak a new strange language and had to learn to live all these cultural norms of Babylon. These young bright sparks were taken away at the prime of their lives. And they were encouraged to forget where they had come from. This really was cultural reassignment. <laughs> they were removed from even having their own names anymore. Names which meant something. Daniel, which meant God is judge. Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, which means who is what God is. Try and work that one out. Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. Terrible moment. Some Israelites resisted violently. Others decided, well, we'll just assimilate. We'll become like the Babylonians and we'll do what the Babylonians do and we'll adopt their gods. That's what we'll do. That's how we'll cope. That's how we'll get through. But God called the Israelites to a totally different way. And I would suggest that God is calling us to a different way as well. God had given the prophet Jeremiah this word in the run-up to this destruction, which he had also prophesied uh, so clearly uh, this whole disaster was so clearly prophesied. Jeremiah 20, 29, you'll recognize Jeremiah 29. Well, verses 4 to 7 say this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So the answer to this restriction and oppression of faith was not just keep your mouth shut and just be silent until all this is over. That was not the answer. But it wasn't the answer to go and fight either. It wasn't to pick up arms and go and pick a fight. It was to press on with life. Press on with the life that God had given the Israelites. The vision for life that God had given the Israelites. It was to settle, build houses, plant gardens, Grow families. Seek the well-being of a city. Be fruitful. Seek the well-being of your captors. That sounds like something Jesus said, didn't it? Doesn't it? Love your enemies. Press on in Babylon. Live life God's ways in a godless society. That was the call. God called his people not to force God's ways over the Babylonians, or to conform to the ways of the Babylonians, but to live the lives that God has given them to live 
with their Babylonian neighbors in contrast to them. They were to resist the influence of Babylon as God's people, at the same time seeking the good of Babylon. Under COVID-19 restrictions, we find ourselves tempted, I think, I do, towards either total disregard of authority and their rules, or just to hide away, cower in a corner until all this is over. God is calling us to neither. I think we should pray. I feel like I've still got this lovely little sticker on that my daughter gave me earlier from Frozen. What's this character's name? Anyone? Sven. I knew you'd know Naomi. Brilliant. I was just pretending I didn't know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be bold, courageous in these days. We want to get on board with your will. We want to know, what are you doing now, Lord? And how do we live out what we're called to do as part of that? Lord, would you help us to work that out? Would you help us to see what you're doing in our day? Come, Holy Spirit, fall on us afresh. We need your power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's live. Live as citizens of the kingdom of God. That is our first priority. Daniel and the other elite slaves in the king's courts were to eat the best Babylonian food, drink the best Babylonian wine, live as young, upper-class Babylonians in the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. That sounds all right, doesn't it? But Daniel has his wits about him. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have their wits about them. Some of the luxurious foods that were on offer in Babylon were in direct opposition to the Mosaic law, and they knew it. So Daniel resolved, verse 8, not to defile himself, which would have contained, I mean, this is directly disobeying God's word. He says, I'm not doing that. Daniel knew God's ways were better. Now, Daniel could have exploited that luxurious life being offered to him, or he, he could have done the other thing, which was to, to offend his captors and, and make a horrible fuss about it. But actually, instead, he was wise. He was wise. And he decided he was going to go God's ways no matter what. And so he and his friends repeat this pattern again, 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 and again, even being willing to be thrown into fiery furnaces even being willing to be thrown into lion's dens in order to keep first priority as God's people. Every kingdom and every generation has something of Babylon in it, trying to push God out of our lives. What are our lives being squeezed by today's cultural shape? How do we first live as citizens of the kingdom of God? Okay, here are some principles that I think we can see from Daniel's life. So not even just from these verses, but his whole life. Press on in prayer. So it's what we see in Daniel when we get to chapter 6 in the lion's den. 
By the time the government advisors trick King Darius, who is the king at that time, to send Daniel off to the lion's den, Daniel is 80 years old. That's even older than you, Dennis, isn't it? I'm only kidding. You're young, young, youngest in heart in the whole room. Um, yeah, so it's just bizarre that throughout this whole thing, Daniel has not been pushed to this point until he gets to his eight, until he's 80 years old. But what we do know is his faith has been oppressed that whole time. That they're trying to hold him back, but he's not willing. He's still praying. We need to be so often and so steadfast in prayer that it feels like breathing. It's life. We receive from God and ever-increasing conversations with him. Breathe in. Oh, Father. Breathe out. Oh, I live for you. Breathe in. Oh, Father. Breathe out. Oh, I live for you, Father. And high up in our prayer agenda needs to be to pray for this wisdom that these guys had. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You might feel in these days that you just don't have any wisdom. Man, I wish I had the words for that situation to respond to that person. And you can start speaking lies over yourself that say, hey, do you know what? I'm not, I don't have any wisdom. I, I never will. I need to leave that for someone else with much more wisdom than me. Not true. God's word says if you ask, you will receive wisdom. Seek wisdom. Look to receive wisdom. We are calling the church family to fast and pray this Thursday and Friday. To abstain like Daniel and his friends were willing to so that we can focus in prayer. Now, why do we do that? Why are we calling people to fast and pray? Because Jesus says, when you fast, first of all, to the disciples. And so we know that this should be a normal part of our spiritual lives. Anyone who follows Jesus, when you fast, so we fast. But it's also because uh, fasting helps us focus on what really is most important. Jesus is the bread of life. You know, food's important, but Jesus is the bread of life. And so, yeah, we need to eat, but we need Jesus more. And this reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life, that we need him more than anything else. And I think it'd be good this week to think about two kinds of fasting. One, a fast from food and drink, which would be normally what fasting is in the Bible. But I also think it's healthy and good to fast from other things, like a selective fast. So for you, that might be social media. It might be screen time. It might be whatever you feel is squeezing you into a cultural shape that is not a biblical or a godly one. You say, that doesn't have master over me. I'm going to fast from it. I don't need it. I need Jesus. So as part of it, make sure that you actually set aside time to, to pray. Because honestly, what can happen in these things is that people start just getting some spiritual pride. Hey, by the way, I did not eat or drink for 48 hours. Did you know that? Did you know? Oh, let's go out for dinner. Should we go out for dinner? I know we can't just now, sorry, rubbing salt in the wind. But let's go out for dinner. Oh, sorry, I can't eat because I'm uh, fasting. It's not about that. It's not about us. 
put into our schedule times to pray. Two things I want us to focus on in prayer as we do. One is this idea of pressing on. Press on now that God would give us a fresh infilling of his Holy Spirit and resource us with wisdom, power, and gifts to be all he is calling us to be in these days. If you've not seen what Dennis brought last Sunday, um, slagging you off earlier, Dennis, but honoring you now. Loved what you brought on Sunday. I mean, it was just phenomenal. There was a real moment there when... I don't know about you if you were sitting in the room as well, but it was just this kind of sense that God was speaking so powerfully and saying, yeah, you are. Some of you have been so dry. It's time for the Spirit to come and fill you afresh. But let's pray for that. Let's fast and pray for that Thursday, Friday. And the other thing which I think is really connected with this, actually, even though it is a very practical thing, is a building. I think it would be so helpful to us as a church right now to have a facility that is 24-7 hours that we can use to gather together to pray, that we can use to have meetings when we want to have meetings, that we can use for CAP, Christians Against Poverty, that we can use for Alpha, that we can use for all kinds of different things. Under 25s, I believe, have different rules in terms of the youth and when they can meet and all that kind of thing. So if this is going to go on for months and months, I think it would be really helpful to be able to gather you guys more regularly as groups together. So there's all kinds of things that we can do if we have our own facility, our own facility that facilitates mission. And actually, what we really want to do is use that place as a, as a central gathering point that actually feeds us back into our far more local communities to be on mission together. It's the vision. Actually, grace communities will have more and more of a place in the life of the church, a much more meaningful role in the life of the church. Okay, second thing is press on in truth. Don't be fooled. God's word is enduring and abiding. Daniel wasn't fooled by the power of the Babylonian kingdom. He remembered the law, and so he didn't eat the foods God commanded him not to. At the heart of his education in Israel would have been to memorize the Torah. When Christianity was particularly oppressed in China under Mao, there were Bible, Bibles were really scarce. It's hard to come across them. People in prisons who had memorized the Bible were telling people and recounting Scripture, and people were coming to faith, leaving prison, and going and telling lots of other people about Jesus because they had just the Word of God was impressed on their hearts. We need to get more and more into the Word of God. We need to memorize Scripture, carry it around with us, read it regularly. If you've not got a plan where you do something called Grace Bible Reading, ask me about it later. We need to be in the Word. Whatever your plan is, we need to be in the Word, intentionally in the Word. Press on in faith. The temple had been destroyed. The great holy city of Jerusalem was laid flat. It looked as though God had been defeated. That's what it looked like. Daniel arrived in Babylon as a young man. He remained in exile until his dying days. He found out through the interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that there was going to be four kingdoms, that this was just the first of them. There was going to be a second one, which he lived under, which was Persia. Then there was going to be a third one. And we know from history that that was Rome. And then there's going to be a fourth one. And that fourth one, that fourth one's the best one because that's when the king of kings comes, the kingdom to destroy all kingdoms, the kingdom to raise us up and be 
with him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's going to come one day and return and be with us. That's that fourth kingdom. And we know that that was Jesus, the Son of Man, who was prophesied about in chapter 7. Let's hold on to our faith in these days like Daniel did. Because Jesus is victorious. He will return. And you can count on it. Let's press on as citizens of the kingdom of God. But let's also live for the good of Babylon, for the good of Glasgow, for the good of Scotland. Although Daniel was firmly resolved to live God's ways, he did not try to force the Babylonians to suddenly come under the rule of God's ways. Do you notice that? Daniel only asked for him and his friends to be allowed to eat God's way. He didn't demand that the rest of the people do it as well. So doing good for strange kingdoms that we live in does not mean that it's demanding everyone to live like us. In fact, it's to display God through our lives another way. It invites people to witness our lives and to hear our words of something better, something good. So our goal should not be to force Christianity over our culture or to conform under culture. It is to be Christ-like contrasts in culture. When we reach for loud power plays over culture, or we withdraw to submissive timidity under culture, we cease to live the distinct ways of Jesus in culture. We must live in obedience to the kingdom of God, the fourth kingdom, the one that Jesus has brought and is advancing through the church. Tim Keller describes how we should live in these days as humble excellence. I love that. We must learn to live life so shaped by Jesus that they display Christ, our kind of Christ-like heart and the glory of God. And Glasgow's good like Daniel did to the glory of God and the good of Babylon. When excellence is our only aim, we become just like every other Babylonian. When humility is our only aim, we become invisible. Both make us irrelevant. Humble excellence shines a light on Christ in us, the hope of glory. So how do we do that? Work hard to the glory of God. Verse 17 tells us, God gave them the excellence that caused the king, verse 19, to find none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But it is because they were, verse 8, willing to resolve to live as citizens of the kingdom of God first that then God uses them so powerfully. Do you see that? So they're only used powerfully because they're willing to give them themselves in every way to God. They live as living sacrifices. Give yourself to God and work at whatever he gives you to do with all your heart. And then watch and see what God does. There is no room for the follower of Jesus to be okay with laziness or being half a half half-hearted worker. 
Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it in community. It's interesting, isn't it, that it wasn't just Daniel that was a great witness in those kingdoms. It was actually when he was with his friends that he was used in great power. So think about the food test. It wasn't just that there was one of them, but there were several of them that he could look to, and it was evidence. Oh, yeah, God's ways are better. And later, when Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were thrown into the furnace, it's not just that one of them wasn't burnt. All three of them weren't burnt. This great witness to God's power in the collective. Then think about the words of Paul to the Corinthians in the New Testament. He said that it wasn't only him who had seen the resurrection of Jesus, but actually there had been 500 witnesses in just one day. You could go and ask them. We're supposed to do this stuff in community. It is time for us to not think of evangelism as just one of us going out and telling someone the gospel or someone like Billy Graham used to do and stand up and just expect thousands to gather to that place to hear. But actually, that we start introducing our non-Christian friends, people who don't know and love Jesus yet, to the people who know and follow Jesus. Introduce them to the community that they're missing out on. Identify brokenness and affect change. We work with the City Mission, and we're going to be doing a couple of weeks of volunteering again with them uh, before Christmas and then after Christmas. I'm thrilled that we're going to do our first CAP course soon, and Esther's taking the lead on that. Really excited to see how that goes. And that's great, and we're really ex- genuinely really excited to see what God does with that. But actually, I think it's even simpler than that. I think it's that we've got to look out for the isolated and the broken around us. Seek out the people who need help and love in an individualistic and loveless society. Live aware of the oppressed. Think about what you eat. Think about how you dress. How's this been made? Think about the conversations you're taking part in, what they're contributing to, the bigger picture. We have a responsibility as God's people. Identify the good and join in. We've just moved into our new house, and I was, I've been amazed at the community spirit in our street. There's 60 people on this WhatsApp group that we've joined within two days, and honestly, it's going all the time. It's like, ping, 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 ping. It's actually like, there's so much that I'm a bit like, man, you're filling my feed. And, it, and it's great, because it's this community that's already been set up. They set up this group in March, and it's such a good thing, and they're caring for one another, they're loving one another well. I just think, brilliant, this is so good. There was even one guy the other night, poor guy, didn't have any gravy for his steak pie. I mean, unbelievable. So he puts on there, hey guys, anyone got any bisto I could borrow? Half an hour later, picture comes up, steak pie looking good with his chips on the side. Brilliant. So there's all these good things that we can join in with. So when we see the good things, let's celebrate them. Don't feel like we have to set up something Christian. Go and just be part of what's good and live for Jesus in those places. Be okay with small chat. Sometimes I think we want to change people's worlds before we say hello. That would be great, 
and sometimes that will happen. But might I suggest that earning people's trust, becoming someone's friend, genuine friend, takes time. And sometimes there will be opportunities for us just to tell the gospel quickly, share it quickly, invite someone to Alpha quickly. But often the people that we're saying come to faith are the ones who are in multiple relationships with people who know Jesus. Friendships with lots of people and have been influenced by them. Be content in people's debt. Christians can sometimes be a bit quick to only accept help from from each other and then only want to help those who don't know Jesus. Don't really want to accept help from others because it's like they feel like, oh man, but but I'm the one who's supposed to love here. Well, yeah, great. Love, don't expect anything in return. But also, it's good to be in people's debt at times. Daniel had no problem with that in prison. He asked people to go and do him favors. Remember me. And we should be the same. And I think one of the reasons in an individualistic society that that's really important is that people don't really trust you unless you're willing to have that kind of two-way relationship. And we're not, we're not trying to con people into the kingdom by being really nice to them. We want genuine relationships. And so to be in people's debt is okay. In fact, I'd say maybe even that's a good ploy. <laughs> be deliberately in people's debt. Like we, um, yesterday, were offered a sand pit on the amazing neighborly WhatsApp. So Lindsay said, yeah, let's do that. So we replied. Then somebody else comes on the group, says, hey, I've got a wheelbarrow if you want to borrow it. Now we don't have a wheelbarrow yet. We're planning to buy one at some point. Now we had a choice. We could have gone to B&Q and bought a wheelbarrow. I thought, oh no, we don't want to bother that person. You know, that's the most loving thing to do. Don't bother them. But actually we decided it'd be better to be in their debt because then a relationship is struck up they kind of, and trust begins to form. Don't be afraid of being in people's debt. Be willing to suffer and endure for breakthrough. As we saw, Daniel was older than maybe many of us thought. He was 80 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. We, we may, may need to be taken to the ends of ourselves before we see breakthrough. God does not require us to always do the spectacular. We pray the miraculous we come. We pray for more of it. Oh man, don't you pray for more of it? I want more of the power of God and the Holy Spirit to come in power and for us to grow in our gifts and see more miraculous gifts. I want that. But at the heart of that is actually faithfulness. It begins with faithfulness. Are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to go to the end of yourself and take up your own cross and be willing to do anything for God? And I think that's really what God wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. And maybe in an instantaneous culture where things are so expected all the time, straight away, maybe, just maybe, God is helping us in these days to wait. Press on, but wait for God. Last thing, live eagerly for the kingdom to come. This wasn't ever going to be Daniel and his friends true home. But even when Israel did return in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, it became clear 
that they would be oppressed until a new kingdom came, that fourth kingdom, a better kingdom that would be established by a messianic king, the one that would be established by the Son of Man. It says this in chapter 7, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Daniel and his friends were in exile all their days. And all the while, they longed for home. And so should we, especially as we navigate COVID. Let's call it what it is. This meeting is not what it should be. It's rubbish compared to what it should be. Can we just call it what it is? I'm so thankful you're all here. So thankful we're still gathering together and being obedient to God and coming together and being the family as best we can. But it is not what it should be. We should long for more, long for the church to be all it's supposed to be. And actually, that longing should always be there for the Christian because it's never quite what it should be until Jesus returns. During the third kingdom's reign, the Roman Empire, God himself would be humiliated. Jesus, the Messiah. They would whip him with flesh-ripping whips, pierce his hands and feet onto a cross until his body could no longer hold him up. He'd die as his chest is crushed. He strung up for the world, strung up him up for the world to mock him. The sarcasm of his crown of thorns pushed into his head, sign above, King of the Jews. It is finished. He breathed his last. God had seemingly died. But God's story never dies. The Bible isn't structured beginning, middle, end. It's structured beginning, middle, beginning. God wasn't finished. Sin was finished. Death was finished. Jesus turned death and sin over and conquered it, rising again to new life and the greatest victory there has ever been. God has not lost. COVID has not won. The culture wars do not define us. The progressive nature of the liberal elites is not the ultimate answer. The conservative values of the right are not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is Jesus. 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 We need Jesus. Glasgow needs Jesus. Scotland needs Jesus. America needs Jesus. He is the one we can trust. He has won. And he will take us home. Like Daniel and his friends long to be in Jerusalem and back in the freedom of the promised land, we should long for our promised land. The kingdom that has come will be complete when he returns, when King Jesus returns with his rightful crown on his head. Long not for songs sung here, but heavenly choirs with the angels joining our chorus. Long not only for meals around tables at Grace Communities and elsewhere, but for the great wedding banquet when we sit around the table with Jesus himself. 
long not only for increased fellowship with, with lingering conversations over coffee after church, long for this perfected love that we have been promised, a new, a new and sinless society where no one is ever lonely or isolated ever again. Press on in Babylon. Because you know what's coming. Live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Live for the good of Babylon. Live eagerly for the kingdom to come. We're going to move into a time of communion together. And you'll see that there are four tables positioned around the room. One here, one here, one here, one here. If you know and love Jesus, this is your time to come and receive from him. To take that cup of juice, which represents the blood of Christ that's been poured out for you. To take that bread, which represents his body pierced for you. Jesus gave himself for you. You know, Daniel resolutely set out to not defile himself. But you know what Jesus resolutely set out to do? It says he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You know why? Because instead of being taken up the hill to be crowned that day, he was taken up another hill. Hill of Golgotha. And as he went up that hill, he resolutely set out to make you righteous, to make sure you could no longer be defiled, that your sin could be washed away, that he could be your great exchange. He took all of your sin on that cross, was punished in the way that you deserve to be punished, the way that I deserve to be punished. He received the wrath of God so that we could go free. So when we come and take communion just now, we're coming to celebrate that we have got freedom in Christ. We are righteous, we are saints, we are holy. Father God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that he is the risen king. Jesus, we worship you. Lord, we pray that in these days we would be able to press on. And as we take communion, we remember that we can because of what you have done for us. You've made us holy. You've made us temples of your spirit. And Lord, you can do all things through even us. Oh, Lord, thank you. We come humbly, ask you to come in power and speak with us as we're led in worship. In Jesus' name.